0: Because there truly is hope, in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So today we're going to continue our discussion with one of the very few survivors of a suicide attempt from the Golden Gate Bridge. Last week, in an interview we recorded two years ago, Ken Baldwin shared with us the depression-induced thoughts that led him to his attempt that and despairing day, and the fact that if someone, anyone, had stopped him and taken control of the situation, that he would have taken their hand and followed them anywhere to get the help that he desperately needed, because he knew that he couldn't access it himself in that mental state, but that he needed help. If you missed it, we encourage you to listen to and share the episode. It was number 220. We want to note that when discussing suicide, it is recommended best practice not to mention the method used, and we follow that guideline in our episodes. But this and last week's guest's story really can't be told without acknowledging that he's one of the very rare people to have survived a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. Today, we continue our discussion with Ken,
1: which includes some insights that we wish we could shout from the mountaintop. (laughs) or at least gently say to every person who is currently having suicidal thoughts. The instant Ken left the bridge, like others with that experience who have shared about it, he regretted jumping. He says he immediately knew he had made a mistake and that he wanted to live. 245 feet from the bridge to the bay allows time for insight and regret. Mm. Last week, we ended our conversation with Ken by debunking the myth that once someone decides to end their life, there's nothing that can be done to stop them. Today, we begin with another misconception. Here is Ken Baldwin sharing his story and hard-earned lessons as he gives his voice to depression.
0: So... Another myth, oftentimes when someone survives an attempt, you hear they didn't really mean it. It was just uh, either trying to get attention or a cry for help. Um, your particular method makes it pretty clear you intended to die.
2: Yes, I, this, was not, this was not a cry for help. This was an attempt to end my life.
0: <sighs> what would you say to yourself today, to that man on the bridge that day?
2: The same thing that my wife tells me on a daily basis, that I'm not a failure, that I'm not a failure. You're not a failure because of this. Come back, you can recover, you can live a a fulfilled life, and I have. I've lived a fulfilled life in the last 30-some-odd years. I, uh, you know, I watched my daughter graduate from high school. I gave her away on her wedding day. Mm-hmm. I saw my grandson and granddaughter born. I mean, all these things that I never would have been able to do.
0: The key for me here is that you believe that even in that state, you could have been talked out of it because that's what matters. It's not the two of us sitting here today in a healthier spot believing that. It's then.
2: It's it's then, absolutely. If intervention happens, you can get them the tools so that if they get into that state again, they may be able to help themselves or reach out for help. And that's huge. That's gigantic. Because we know that life is, is not a bowl of cherries all the time. So you've got to be prepared for when life happens, something bad happens, that you, you can survive that with the tools that you have.
0: And when we speak of intervention, we, just as other caring human beings, not even as mental health advocates, your average Joe can have an impact and, and could have with you?
2: Absolutely. I have good friends that we, we, we have coffee every week and they've told me this, that this helps them so much just to be able to talk. And and if we have that, someone to talk to, someone to to emote to is, is hugely important. And I think that's where the social media gets it wrong. And social media, you have quote unquote friends, but you never see them. You never see them face to face you never look them in the eye and tell them what's going on.
0: Hmm. I, I really think it's important for people to hear what your experience was as you left the bridge.
2: It was, it was a total disaster. I saw all the people that I was going to hurt. This just, uh, it, it hurt me so much to understand that all the people that I loved, my wife, my daughter, my mom, my dad, my brothers, everybody was going to be so hurt by it because I never left a note. I never, they would never know, they would never know that it wasn't about them And they would always have this guilt. I should have stopped him. I should have seen it. I don't know what happened. I would have really changed their lives forever for the worse.
0: And beyond that, did you connect with a will to live?
2: In the water, I was swimming and I was saying, somebody please save me. Somebody please save me. I want to live. I want to live. And so, yeah, I did a a complete 180 in the air. I, I realized that. Uh, the, the things that i felt were unfixable my failure were actually very fixable wow. and and that's that's a huge part of it is that i i did realize that this pain didn't have to go on forever i needed help but it didn't have to go on forever that was my realization on the way down
0: are you willing to tell me what that means what what was fixable because you know you also Of course, when you come back up and when you're rescued, or however your attempt played out afterwards, your life is the same as it was, except perhaps a little more messed up, because now there's this factor.
2: (laughs) No, that was one of my thoughts is, oh, gosh, how's everybody going to react to this now? Because not only was I a failure, but I also was mentally ill and i didn't know how everybody was going to react to it and so that was that was one of those things also that i thought of yeah absolutely but what was fixable was my mindset see when i was suicidal my mindset uh was that i needed to die and this came about slowly i i i I talk about a black vortex that i go down And that I went down and even my wife would say, hey, I love you. And uh, there was there was nothing there. I wouldn't accept praise, but anything Mm -hmm. bad would get through. And so so what had to change is my mindset slowly but surely with a lot of help. Now, when she says, you're a good human being, I love you. I accept that, and I know that I can trust that, and that's, that's a big deal.
0: That's a very big deal. So tell me a bit about the kind of help you have utilized uh, to keep yourself healthy in the things that you do, because there, as you say, is work involved.
2: No, it is a lot of work. Um, my wife wouldn't let me uh, go to the store by myself for months after the jump because she was afraid that uh, I, I was still suicidal, and so you know that was that was a big part of it is to gain her trust back that when I say I'm okay, she has to believe me, she has to trust me also. There's a lot of trust that goes on in this relationship. And so we, we talk about this, we talk about the hard things, I talk about how I feel, really honestly.
0: Do you have those honest conversations with a therapist or a psychiatrist or anyone as well?
2: I don't. I pretty much uh depend on my wife to to be able to understand what what i need and and it's worked it's worked for me she's my rock she's my my guardian angel if it weren't for her i wouldn't be here i would be i'm sure i would be dead if i left to my own devices and my own mindset i think uh i would be dead do you still have those thoughts uh not suicidal thoughts I call myself a depressive who's just not depressed right now because I I don't know what's happening in the future. I know what happened in the past. This past spring, I had a a full-on meltdown of monumental proportions, and it scared the crap out of me. I was was very scared about how I felt about who I was because I thought that uh, I was better than that, Mm. and it can happen again. And um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I don't try and fool myself to say I'm all better. I, I don't believe that that can happen. It doesn't just go away. If I feel that I need something more, then I will go get it. I I, I truly believe that. A big part of that is because um, I'm not afraid to ask anymore.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. If um, you know what part of your story, what part of your message resonates with people having, having done this for so long? Um, I, I want to know what you have to say to the people listening who might be thinking, well, he's different. She's different. I'm,
2: I'm actually a loser. We're not different. Oh, we all think the same your brain lies to you and you're going if my brain tells me i'm a loser then i must believe that but we can't there's something wrong there it's it's something that can be can be helped there is recovery and that's the the beauty of it is if if these people go out if you go out and you require somebody to help you you can recover. And I know it's hard for depressed people to, to stand up and say, I'm not going to take this anymore. Right. Usually they sit and, and, and say, well, this is who I am. Like you said, this is my new normal. But it's not. It doesn't have to be. I am living proof of that. That in 1985, I wanted to die. And now several years later, 30 some odd years later, i'm still living because i recover i'm not different than everybody else i am the same as everybody else
0: i'm really glad you survived
2: thank you very much i am too so is my family i appreciate it it's it's what i do i survive i work hard at it i tell my story because i'm honest with myself
1: Well, wow. You know, Ken is, is just so honest with himself and, you know, his wife, his friends, and with us. And I love that he's saying he's not perfect. He can't predict the future. He doesn't know if this could happen again to him. But it seems like he's choosing to trust the voices of these actual people in his life who care about him over that disembodied, you know, voice of depression mm-hmm. that, that just that just lies. Mm-hmm. And I, I really love that.
0: I love that. I do too. And I like, you know, him calling out that just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And You know, that that you need to be surrounded by at least one person. And in his case, it it is primarily his wife, though I'm sure his friends play a role as well, saying, no, that's not true. You are lovable. You are worthy. And not everybody has that, but there is access to support, even if you don't have it in your own life, with the warm lines and the hotlines and online support groups and all those kinds of things, many of which are free. So it's um, if anybody needs to hear it right now, we'll tell you depression lies and you do have value and you're not alone and you are worth whatever work is required to get to a place where you want to live again
1: yeah you can as, as as his wife tells him you can recover you can live a fulfilled life and he's a great example of that
0: thank you anita and thank you ken for sharing with us both of these last two weeks to round out suicide prevention awareness month
1: We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this
0: episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, Take the time to listen.